0: If you have your Bible, I pray that you do, turn with me to the book of the Revelation, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, congratulations to you, proud Papa, and uh, great, great news. That was uh, that was an encouragement for me to read on, uh, on your page yesterday, uh, how the Lord's blessed in your family. Thank you for sharing that. In the book of the Revelation, we've been looking at the seven churches of Revelation and uh, <clears throat> throughout our study... You might recall this phrase. We have said to understand prophecy, to understand prophecy, we must first learn some history. And so that's what we've been doing taking a look back in history uh, at these seven churches to try and figure out something that we might be able to take not only to, to read, but to heed, to learn, and actually to apply to our lives for the here and now. And as we know from Scripture, uh, we can see very clearly that Jesus actually personally dictated these letters to seven historical churches. The Apostle John, he pens these letters. Uh, he, he's given this uh, supernatural vision of the Lord, and the Lord comes to him and gives him these letters and dictates what he wants him to write uh, to these churches. And I was thinking about it this week, and it's, it's similar to like when we look in the mirror, we see something. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest of them all, right? We look at something when we look in the mirror. And similar to that process, um, the reflection that we see in a mirror, we've been looking at each of these letters. And so this morning we're going to uh, look and biblically consider how we are doing spiritually today. So look with me, yeah, oh boy. Let's look today at Revelation chapter 2. It'll be okay, everybody. Verse 18 and following. Let's see what the Lord has for us this morning. And the Bible writes these words, Jesus saying unto the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, these things saith the Son of God who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works in charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few uh, things against thee because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into a great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am He which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which you have already. Hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. And I will give him the morning star." He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And here we have a wonderful passage of Scripture. And some of you may be saying, man, what is is the Lord saying? I don't understand what He's trying to say to His church. And I hope that here in a few moments it will be very, very clear to all of us what He's saying. But historically, we need to learn some things from this uh, church. And if we'll show our map of the region we'll see uh, that Thyatira sets inland from the Mediterranean Sea. It's up here at number four. We've looked at the careless church in Ephesus, the suffering church, the compromising church, making our way north. Now we've jumped over into Asia Minor to the church at Thyatira. And uh, it sat off the Mediterranean Sea. It wasn't really considered an important city or or necessarily a large city. It wasn't beautiful uh, with its buildings or or businesses but it was a commercial hub of sorts and uh, really the city was quite active as it sat on and let's hold this map because see in these Roman cities at this time there was a uh, not a highway like you and I would understand but there was a there was a road system that connected all of these major cities and so it sat on this this Roman road system if you please and um, was very active. Thyatira was primarily known for their, their bakers, their bronze makers, and and uh, their clothiers. In fact, you may recall after hearing the Macedonian call, you remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul, he finishes his first missionary journey. Then he says, hey, he says, guys, guess what? I'm going to go up to Bithynia. But the Lord didn't allow it. And so he hears this Macedonian call of this man saying, come over unto us. And After he hears that Macedonian call, he goes over into Philippi. And you might recall that when he gets there, Acts 16, verse 13, on the very first Sabbath, Paul actually and Silas, they go out down by the river. And verse 13 says they went down by the river where prayer was wont to be made. This is where people gathered for prayer. And guys, to our shame, you know who was gathering at the river to pray? It wasn't a group of men, it was a group of women. Thank God for women who pray. Thank God for moms who pray for their kids, wives who pray for their husbands, grandmas who pray for their husbands and their children, and on and on. It was the women who gathered to pray. And in verse 14 of Acts chapter 16, here's what the Bible says, and it says, and a certain woman named Lydia. You ever hear that name before? Not just in uh, Jerry Stanley's daughter, but Lydia, yeah, no, I know Jamie's shaking her head. No, not the same Lydia. But we find Lydia, it says she was a seller of purple. By the way, purple was not purple, it was a scarlet red. She was a seller of this red fabric, if you please. It was a, it was a, a very deep red color. And it says wo, uh, this woman named Lydia, seller of purple of this city, notice where she's from? Thyatira which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Lydia was the very first convert that Paul and Silas had in Philippi. What an amazing testimony. She was a seller of purple, and, and that, that identity or that characteristic of her, that, that tradesperson, Lydia, she was just a product of her hometown. To be honest, she was just a product of Thyatira. You see, it was the center of the dyeing industry, so to speak. Those that would dye fabrics, it was, that was a big deal there in Thyatira. And the city was known as a headquarters for many other ancient guilds, including those who served as cobblers, weavers, tanners, and potters. And if you look at our text, verse number 19 reveals that the church at Thyatira, which existed during much of the Dark Ages. Now, I'm going to remind you here in just a second, this church is spanning about 590 A.D., and I'll reference that again here in a second, 590 A.D. to 1517 A.D. It it represents a church in the church history age that was uh, 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 present during much of the dark ages. Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about Pergamus, you understand that the dark ages is when uh, the, the, religious, uh, the, the religious clergy of the day were keeping the common people in dark because, remember, it was illegal to have the Word of God. And so this is the period of time that Thyatira is existing. But what we know from verse 19, look at it. It says this church worked hard. They loved faithfully. They were loyal in service. They had great faith. They were patient. But as we'll see, there was a chink in their, so to speak, armor. There was a chink in their armor, and it caught the attention of the Lord because by the end of the first century, this church in Thyatira was quite unhealthy. But before we get to his diagnosis, look with me in verse number 18 and how Jesus actually describes himself. And by the way, when Jesus describes himself to each of the churches, if you look at each letter, he describes himself in the way that the church needs to understand who he is which is pretty dangerous considering what he says in verse number 18 and how he describes himself to this church. Notice he begins by establishing his authority. Notice he says he refers to himself as the Son of God, not the Son of Man. He says, listen, you're not dealing with some prophet, some pastor, or some preacher. You're dealing with God. And I want you to know that as God, I'm getting ready to tell you some things. What if God just shows up today? I believe He's in this place. I believe His Spirit is moving. Sometimes we need to just listen to what God has to say. Amen? A lot of times we're listening to what the world has to say. We're listening to what culture has to say. We're listening to what some author, some educator has to say. Instead of listening to educators, authors, pastors, and priests, and on. And on we, we need to listen to what Jesus has to say. I think we'd, I think we'd be much better off. Look, he he establishes his, his authority. He says, hey, listen, it's the Son of God talking to you. And then also he refers to himself, look, he refers to himself as he who hath eyes like unto a flame of fire. He's talking about the fact that not only am I God, but I'm able to see everything. You can't hide, you can't run, you can't cover all the things that you're doing because I see it all. Woo! Have you ever tried to hide from God? Am I the only one? Nobody else tried to hide from God. I know some young people. Yeah, and some old people too. Some of the aged men. You're, you're an aged man back there wearing that Nationals jersey. He's like, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. You got grandkids. You're an aged man. All right? Here's the thing. Guys, sometimes we try to hide from God. I got news for you. He sees us. He knows what's going on. You might fool your wife, sir. You might fool your, your mom and dad, young person. And wives, you might fool your husband, but you ain't fooling God. God sees it all. And so He says, He says, hey, I'm the all-seeing God. By the way, just like His Word, His eyes are quick and sharp. He can see in the darkness. He can see through the darkness and see what's right. And He sees what is wrong. And by the way, many times when He discovers what's wrong, He exposes what's wrong. He knows our deepest thoughts. He knows our struggles. He knows our pains. He's more able to deal with them whether they be good or bad. Oh, my friends, look at verse 23 of our text. It also indicates that Jesus is actually the one who who actually searches the reins and our heart. The reins being our mind. He searches our minds. That's what His Word does. It's able to discern. It's able to cut between the divide, right? And it's able to kind of pinpoint what's going on in our lives. He concludes his personal description. Look at verse 18. He says, his feet are like fine brass. And if you look across the page to Revelation 1.15, look how John describes him. In verse 15, John said, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. Folks, brass in Scripture refers, you can see it all throughout the Old Testament, it refers to judgment. And it also refers to incredible power. Our God is all-powerful. Amen? You ought to get excited about Him being all-powerful. Nothing takes Him by surprise. He's in control each and every day. Do you know He's in control of coronavirus? You know He's in control as much as our pocketbooks hate it. He's in control of the gas prices. He's in control of those... uh, tech gurus who infiltrated the system and blocked up the fuel line. By the way, I'm kind of confused. Somebody, maybe you can help me out. If one pipeline's good, why is the other pipeline bad? That's a different subject. But anyway, uh, he's the one that controls it all. And yet we're walking around like like we're scared little chickens. God's in control. We don't have nothing to fear. He's given us a, 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 a power. He's given us a sound mind we got to quit walking in fear. But he concludes that his feet are like fine brass. You know, I was thinking Job. Job understood that God had all power. Job, you think about Job's plight. What was going on in Job's life. In fact, guys, if you'll show Job 42 in verse 1 and 2, listen to what Job says. It says, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou can do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Friends, Jesus' description as an all-seeing God of judgment is pretty important because what He's saying to this church, what He's saying to you and I today is, listen, I know what's going on, and when I see sin, when I know that sin is running rampant, I have to expose it. Not only do I expose it, but I'm going to take care of it. We're like, oh, so you're saying God sees my sin. Your wife probably sees it too, sir. She just might not be as vocal about it as God is. She might put up with a whole lot of junk. And sir, you might have to put up with some junk. And young person, I know, I used to be young. We put up with a lot of junk, don't we? Moms and dads are terrible. Uh, 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 Until you get about 30 and then they become the smartest person in the world. So let's take a look. Jesus describes himself, but let's take a look at what he has to say to the church. He says, what do we do about it? So as we've been doing before, look at verse number 19. Notice what Jesus says. He says, what's right? He said, look at what's right. He says, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. Jesus is saying, listen, I understand that you're a laboring church. I understand that you love one another. And unlike the church of Ephesus who had lost their first love, he says, you haven't lost your first love. You've continued to hold on to love. And he says, I want to recognize you. I want to congratulate you. I want to commend you for your love. But he also says, you guys lack discernment. You got love, but you have no discernment. He goes on, he says, they were a ministering uh, church, that they were meeting the needs of people. He talks about their loyal faith and how it's evident. He says they're patiently enduring for the sake of the gospel during this church age, which, remember, is growing darker and darker and darker. Remember the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? Remember they believed in eating meats that were uh, sacrificed to idols? They also believed in the separation of the clergy and the people, this is what's going on during this period of time. It's continuing to run rampant. And so the religious leaders, the bishops, the archbishops are taking control and the people have no word of God. And so, by the way, it was also a penalty to hold the word of God such that you would be killed if you were found with the word of God. I don't know what kind of church that is, but that's not the church of the living God. Finally, he says here, he says, there's a quality, there's a quantity about all of your labor, about all of your love and ministry and faith and patience. And he said, here's the really cool thing. We're at the end of this age and he says, your labor is greater. Your faith is greater. Your patience is greater. Your love is greater than when you first believed. And that ought to be the testimony of every blood-bought child of God in every church. Your faith, sir. Your works. Your labor. You say, Faith without works is dead. I'm not saying you work to earn your salvation, but after you're saved, you ought to be serving the Lord, right? I told my, my oldest son that when he was about 13. Serve the Lord with gladness. Going, some of you heard this story. We were dropping him off at grandmother's house. And grandmother was involved in her church, and they were going to have the vacation Bible school. And you know, sometimes you get that the big lip. When we're little kids, we're, I, I can't even do that anymore. But when we're kids, we're able to put out that big bottom lip with great, great efficiency. We can look angry. We can look mad. Moms, you know what I'm talking about. And they learn at a very early age. You want to know how they learn? By watching us. They watch us. And we were sitting there at lunch, and it was like... I said, what's the Bible say? Now, when you say that to a 13-year-old, they pretty much they don't even want to answer. like, what's the Bible say? It's like, oh, great. Dad's going to pull out the Bible on me. And I said, serve the Lord with gladness. Do you know, sir, ma'am, young person, that we ought to be more in love with Jesus today than we were the day we got saved? We ought to be serving Him more today than the day we got saved. We ought to be ministering to one another. Remember last week I was encouraging women and men to be looking out how you can teach, how you can encourage, how you can admonish these younger men and women that are coming up. Oh yes, we ought to be doing it more, not less. And this is what Jesus, He's congratulating Him. He He says, your labor is greater now. Everything is greater now than back then. And He says, I congratulate you. Church in Thyatira, again, representing that period from 590 to 1517 A.D., In many ways, this was a commendable church. Unfortunately, though, what was wrong overshadowed what was right. And so let's keep reviewing our Lord's diagnosis by looking at what's wrong. Verse 20, he says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest. That word sufferest in the King James literally means that you're tolerating it. You're permitting it. He says, I, I I have a problem with you because your church is permitting, your church is tolerating this woman, Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication. And what he's talking about is acts of uh, harlotry to indulge in, to commit sexual immorality, to commit idolatry in all various forms or fashions. And he says, hey, you guys are not only tolerating it, but you're permitting it to take place in the church. The problem with this church in Thyatira was that there was a sickness or a cancer, if you please, in the church body. There were weeds in the garden that were growing up. And nobody was tending to the garden. There was a tolerance for sin. There was the commingling of biblical truth with pagan teaching. And it was just picking up steam. And what we find here in Thyatira, as you look at verse 20, the devil's strategy was to continuously introduce evil teaching into the church. And at this time, he uses a woman. That's not to say he's always using women to bring evil into the church. Don't walk away and say, oh, this is a message against women. No, it's not. But at this time in this church, he's using a woman to introduce this evil and this immorality, this idolatry into the church. Look at verse twenty again. Jesus says that woman, Jezebel. Now, anybody here ever name your daughter Jezebel? Why not? Didn't? Wasn't it in that book of a thousand great names for kid, kids? You want to know why you don't name your child Jezebel? because we learned from the Old Testament about a woman named Jezebel, whose name essentially means a harlot or a prostitute. And much like Jezebel in the Old Testament had an adverse impact on the nation of Israel in the time in which she lived, what Jesus is saying is that this woman, this type of Jezebel, is having an incredible impact now. And when we think about Jezebel in the Old Testament, if you're not familiar with her, we know that she was the most wicked and evil woman to have lived. She was the cult princess, cult priestess of Astaroth. She was married to the evil King Ahab. And you can read all about it in one verse. It says he did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's all I need to know about Ahab. But anyway, together they reigned over the ten tribes of Israel. Commonly referred to as the northern kingdom at that time. She set up the worship of Baal and Ashtaroth. By the way, Ahab was warned by Elijah. And Ahab could have done something about it, but he he was spineless. He had no conviction. He had no courage to stop what Jezebel was doing. And so she did what she was doing all the time. She cheated and she murders Naboth. She corrupted Israel with with this paganism and this this paganistic teaching. You remember she tries to kill Elijah. Maybe you remember the story in 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah, he goes to King Ahab and he says, hey, listen, he says, why don't you get the 450 prophets of Baal and you come out and we're going to challenge one another. We're going to see whose God shows up. And I encourage you to go and read that story. And after Elijah's victory on Mount Carmel, and, and God shows up in the fire, and, and you have to read it. It's an incredible story of God showing up right on time. Uh, Elijah finds out through a messenger that, oh, Queen Jezebel isn't so happy. And she's going to come, and she's going to kill him in chapter 19. And do you know what Elijah does now? Think about this. Elijah just is on the mountaintop of things that are going right. As soon as he hears this Jezebel is coming after him, you know what he does? He tucks tail and he runs and he gets past Beersheba and he keeps on going and he finds himself out in the middle of a cave hiding like a coward. That's the kind of woman Jezebel was. And that's what Jesus is talking about here in the book of Revelation. He said this woman, this type of Jezebel, this woman who is having this this type of, of uh, uh, power over my church needs to stop. You remember by this time in the Dark Ages, things are picking up, and historically, I, guys, you got to do your his, history. You got to go back to history class on your own because we don't have time to cover it. But historically, here, we're at the time where the Roman Empire, which is a political dominant power over the world, starts to shift. And remember, there's no Roman Catholic church, there's no Presbyterian church, there's no Episcopalian church, there's no Baptist church set up like First Baptist of of, uh, Macedonia at this time. But what happens is the Roman Empire starts to shift to become the, you ever heard of this? The Holy Roman Empire. So instead of being a political kingdom, it becomes a religious kingdom. And remember, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans begins to create this divide where clergy, bishops, and archbishops begin to rule and to reign over the people, and the people don't have God's Word. And this is the period of time in which we're looking at. And the bottom line is that the people at this time were being kept in the dark as to what? Thus saith the Lord. So let me ask you a question. Sir, young person, ma'am, have you read enough Scripture that if somebody took your Bible away right now, that you'd be prepared to live for the rest of your life without a printed copy of God's Word. That's why it's so important that we hide God's Word in our heart, the Bible says, that I might not sin against thee. But this is what's taking place. This Jezebel enters, and and the dark ages are upon us, and more and more the church begins to be characterized by external religion and internal, here it is, corruption. The church becomes a corrupted entity. Oh, by the way, I still believe that Jesus, when He said uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, but that doesn't mean people haven't tried. Pagan practices and papal authority, they continually increased while biblical authority decreased. And I don't know if you're familiar, but there were all types of councils and teachings that were contrary to the teaching of God's Word and they were increasingly being introduced Maybe you've heard some of them. I don't know. Do we have these? Uh, look at them. Here's some that maybe you've heard of. The doctrine of purgatory was instituted in 593 A.D. by Pope Gregory the Great. Not Pastor Greg, but Pope Gregory the Great. Prayers directed towards Mary, dead saints and angels became official teaching of the church in 600 A.D. Kissing the Pope's foot. I, listen, Jeremiah might like to kiss his own foot right now, but I don't know about kissing the Pope's foot, Right? Kissing the Pope's foot began with Pope Constantine. I don't know what his deal was, but 709 A.D. Temporal powers of the Pope were conferred by King Pippin of France in 750 A.D. The worship of the cross, images, relics, and statues by the church, 786 A.D., The use of holy water mixed with a pinch of salt blessed by a priest, 850 A.D. Uh, The worship of St. Joseph, you know, the foster father of Jesus. That began in 890 A.D. All while the church at Thyatira is existing. Here we go. Fasting on Fridays and during Lent. Listen, I'm not against prayer and fasting. The Bible talks about it. But it doesn't say to make it uh, uh, like, hey, Battlefield, we're going to fast today so that everybody knows that we're fasting. Fasting and prayer is a very private matter. Anyway, that's a different topic for a different time. It began in 998 A.D. Celibacy of the priesthood was decreed. Here we go with another Gregory, Pope Gregory VII in 1079 A.D. Hey, forget about the fact that 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2 says that anybody desiring the office of a bishop ought to be the husband of one wife. No, we're just going to say they need to be celibate. Whatever. The rosary used in prayer and its 20 mysteries, reflecting on its 20 mysteries, and you can read all about it. That began in 1090 A.D. On and on. Guys, this isn't about the Roman Catholic Church. This is just historical facts that were introduced into the church Because there was this difference between clergy and the people, and the people didn't have God's Word to protect themselves. And so a bunch of councils started getting together and started deciding what they wanted to put over the people. Why? Because knowledge is power, and authority is power. And I'll I'll dare say, you do your own study. Today, when the Pope raises two fingers, you go and figure that out for yourself. It's a reference back to what was going on back in the Dark Ages we've got to be awake. We've got to be aware of what's going on in God's Word. You see, because 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 and 6, the Bible says, For there is one God. How many? I just wanted to make sure you were still awake. That was a whole lo- long, long list. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself, what? As a ransom for how many? To be testified in due time. Sadly, it seems as if this woman who had a strong personality and dominant leader, by the way, I've known some dominant women in my time. That's not a bad thing. You could be a dominant woman, you could be a dominant leader without being evil. But here's the deal she was wicked. And she starts to introduce the, uh, within the realm of these ancient guilds, and you have to do a historical study on it, but she starts to introduce, and I just put it in my notes, acceptable idolatry and immorality. And you say, well, what does that mean? She's a false teacher. And so she starts telling the church that it's okay. You see, because the ancient guilds, they had... What we know today as unions. And if you were a cobbler, guess what? And You wanted a job in Thyatira. Guess what you had to join? Sound familiar? You got to join the union. And if you don't pay your union dues, you don't go to the union meeting. You have no job. You want to be a dyer? You go to the dyer's union. You want to be a weaver? You're part of the weavers or the tanners or whatever it is. That's the union that you belong to. And this Jezebel type woman, it was said that evidently these union meetings, they would meet in pagan temples and they would gather for a common feast together. And as they were gathering for feasts, they would eat meats that had been offered to idols and then they would commit all kinds of ungodly acts. And here was her teaching. She was like, it's okay, God understands. You have to have a job to live. You have. God understands, it's okay. Just go ahead and be a part of the, the, the crowd. You see, because the unions were dominated at that time. By pagans. And so her teaching was like, listen, you don't have to stand up for Jesus. You don't have to question heresy. You don't have to be a problem. Just go along with it. Isn't that what the world says to us today? Just be quiet, Christian, and do what we tell you to do. And we'll let you have your little church time on Sunday. No, we need to stand up, stand up for Jesus because we're soldiers of the cross. And I know that might rub your feathers the wrong way. But that's the truth we got to stand up while we still can because if we're not careful we're going to turn around and we're not going to have the ability to stand if we don't stand up now guess what they're coming they're coming for your bible sir they're coming for your family we're just we're just oh you're you're just getting so excited pastor just I mean, we just want to love everybody. I want to love everybody, but I want to love them like Jesus loved them. Right? And Jesus gave him some truth. He was full of grace and truth. He wasn't just filled with love. He had to confront things when they were wrong. In Thyatira, the spirit of, Je- I, the spirit of Je- Jezebelism. <laughs> Say that ten times, Jezebelism. The spirit of Jezebelism had led to adultery. Within the church, spiritual adultery. In other words, people had become unfaithful. You know James, in James chapter 4 and verse number 4, James talks about, he says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. He says, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. He says, it's war. You're at war with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. But look back at our text. Notice what God says in verse 21 and following. He says, I actually gave her space or time. He says, I gave her time to repent of her fornication, but she didn't do it. Verse 22, Behold, I'm going to cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. In other words, except they turn away from their deeds. And I will kill her children. Oh no, what kind? He's talking about the children committed in the act of adultery, the spiritual children in the act of adultery. He says, I'm going to kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins of the mind and the hearts and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Jesus actually says he's given Jezebel and quite honestly, I believe He's he's, he's inferring that he's not only given Jezebel, but those caught up in her teaching enough time to repent and they hadn't done it. But before we get too critical, because I love passages sometimes like this, we're like, man, Pastor, that man, Pastor, that was a wicked church over there in Thyatira. Uh uh uh. Woo, Pastor, you preached it hard today. Mm, 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 mm. Sometimes I have to, you know, uh, entertain myself. <laughs> Pastor, that church in Thyatira, they were just wicked. Listen to that wicked woman. I told you, Pastor, women are wicked. Okay, sir, thank you for your encouragement. You know, before we get too critical of this Jezebel or these people in Thyatira, we better be careful because I see a lot of what they were doing in us. I see a lot of what was going on in 2021. I mean, think about it. Have we ever done what they did? You know, they saw their sin... They tolerated the sin, they choose to ignore sin and they refuse to turn from sin. Doesn't that sound like 2021 to me? Does to me, does it to you? They see it, they ignored it, they tolerated it, and they refuse to turn from it. And that's what Jesus says. He says, I gave her space to repent, and she didn't do it. So what needs to be done? Look at verse 24. Jesus says, But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine. This is a great, this is almost like another commendation. He says, Unto you as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. Praise the Lord. He's, it's a little baby com- commendation here. And he says, But that which you have already, what does he say got to be done? He says, Hold fast. He says, "Don't give it up. Keep holding on to the unadulterated, undiluted, unfiltered Word of God. Keep holding on to it. Don't let some person come in and tell you something that is not uh, uh, biblical, and you follow it and and swallow it, hook, line, and sinker. Oh, that's why we got to be in the Word of God. Because listen, and I'm nothing special. I'm just Pastor Greg serving the Lord the best I can. But we got to be careful because guess what." There are a lot of churches where pastors and teachers are raising up and they're not even teaching the Word of God. They're teaching all kind of junk. And people are like, oh, it sounds good to me. Let's do it. And it has nothing to do with God's Word. Folks, this is what Jesus is talking about. He says you got to hold fast. you got to stick to the stuff. These unbiblical traditions, these unbiblical things have no place in my house. You need to hold to the truth of God's Word. To those who had not succumbed to the wickedness that was permeating the church at this time, Jesus' message is just like we used to say a lot years ago around here. Just keep on keeping on. And maybe that rub, you don't like that saying. But that's what Jesus was saying. He says, hold fast. Hold on until I come. Don't give up. Don't listen to this wickedness. Don't be a part of this wickedness. Don't be involved in sexual immorality. Don't be involved in idolatry. Worship the one true God. And to those who gave way, you know what they were doing? They just decided very easily they were part of this guild or that guild, this union or that union. And they said, Oh, Jezebel, that seems right. Yeah, because I got to make a living. I, and I can only get a job with this, this, this one union, and, and that's providing, I got to feed my family. And so, yeah, I'm gonna go along with this idolatry. I'm gonna go along with this sexual immorality. I'm gonna go along with this false teaching so that I can provide for my family. Thank you, Jezebel, for teaching me what is right. For those who had adjusted their lives to incorporate idolatry and immorality, Jesus was saying, Stop it. He's saying, Stop it. Don't do it anymore. I gave her time to repent and she refused to repent. And He says, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw her into a bed. And everyone that commits adultery with her and the children, they're going to die. All these things. He's given a very vivid picture of His anger towards these things. Folks, we cannot allow corruption, any type of corruption, whether it be teaching or or behavior or otherwise, to enter into our lives or into the lives of the church. As I said a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about the church in Pergamos, we just got to keep on holding. We got to keep on holding to Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith. Look at verse 26, because Jesus finishes His letter with a couple of promises. Anybody like promises? He finishes with a couple of promises. He says in verse 26, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, To him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father, and I will give him the morning star. In other words, he's saying, stick by the stuff, be faithful, and I will give you some great things, because here's what I'm going to tell you, one day you're going to rule with me. You know one day he's going to break that eastern sky open. We've been talking about that on Wednesday nights. And whether I'm still living or whether I've I've decided to pass, and whether he's decided to take me on to glory, right? The dead in Christ shall rise first; that we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the cloud and meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. It doesn't matter. One day we're going to rule with Him. And you say, "I like that." Just remember who the ruler is. It ain't you. It ain't me. I know I'm going to get some comments. Ain't in the Bible. Ain't in the dictionary either. Jesus is the ruler. He's in control. We're just going to be a little dressing in his parade. One day, not only will we rule with him, notice he says, one day, you're going to be united with the morning star. He's talking about himself. He's the morning star. You say, where do you get that? In the book of the Revelation, in Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 16, notice he says these words. Jesus says, I, Jesus, have set mine angel to testify unto you these things unto the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. He says, you're going to be reunited with me if you just hold on. Just hold fast. I'm coming. Woo! That gets me excited. By the way, Whether we pass from this life before He returns or whether we're still living, what a spectacle it's going to be in the sky. Can you imagine all those who have rejected Christ? I was saying this on Wednesday. Those who have rejected Christ, when He breaks that sky and the dead in Christ rise and then we which are alive and remain get caught up to the sky. Can you imagine what unbelievers are going to be doing? Uh Uh-oh. That's why it's so important that we share not just the truth, but the love of Jesus with people while we have time. It's so incredibly important. He says, I'm the morning star. Look at verse 17. He goes on. He says, I'm the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And then verse number 17, he continues and says, and the spirit and the bride say, come and let him that hears. Here it comes. Watch it, church. And let him that heareth come, and let him that's thirsty. Are you thirsty? Because I am. He says, come on. And he says, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Folks, if you have never, ever put your faith and trust in the risen Savior of the world, today would be a really good day to do it. Because you don't have a blank check on tomorrow, and neither do I. James tells us that our life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while, and then it vanishes away. Why not? Why not? Bow your heart and your head today and say, Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner and I need you to forgive me of my sin. I need you to save me. I need you to come into my life and change me. Why not do that? Maybe you're at home watching. Maybe you're sitting in this room and you say, you know, I played church a lot, but I've never entered into the greatest relationship of all. Don't leave here today without Jesus. Don't do it. Because we don't know what a day may bring forth. Look at verse 29 What what an appropriate way to end this letter. By the way, this is the longest letter that Jesus writes to a church. And in verse 29, He says, simply says, He "He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The question is simple, folks. What type of ears do you have? You see, because in the world today, they got what the Bible calls itching ears. See? They want to hear some feel-good, fancy-free uh, uh, gospel that tells them they're going to be rich if they just trust Jesus. They want this no sin, but a lot of love and grace and a lot of uh, uh, gratuitous uh, 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 things that they get from Jesus. But I just put here what type of ears you what type of ears do you have? because you see the children of Jezebel, they will not hear. The children of Jezebel will not hear, they will not heed, and they will not apply the Word of God. But if you are a genuine believer, if you are a genuine follower of Jesus, then you're going to want to follow what God has to say. That's just reality. And so you ask yourself, okay, Lord, I hear what you're saying today. Thank you for telling me about this church at Thyatira who, under the cloak of darkness allowed this wicked, this evil teaching to permeate the church, which became a part of their lives. And I understand how upset you got about it, Lord. Lord, help me not to fall prey to false teaching. Help me to be in my word so that I'm prepared for whatever might come. Lord, help me to be a beacon of your light. Lord, help me to understand that one day I'm going to rule with you. One day that bright and morning star is going to return. Oh, Lord, help me to be faithful. Help me to be laboring. Help me to be a... A man, a woman, a young person of love and ministry. Help me to be that person that keeps letting the light of the glorious gospel shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. And I pray that's what you do. Do you have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying today? I pray that you do. And I pray that you'll determine right now to do business with the Lord is right where you're at. We're going to have a song of invitation. You you do business with Jesus. This is the time. This is Listen, we'll have time to eat lunch here in a second. This is the time to say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. This is the time to say, Jesus, I need you. I'm trusting you as my Savior today. This is the time to do it right now as we enter into a time of invitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness in Your grace and Your mercy. Lord, we thank You for what You've been doing through this series and this study. Lord, I pray that You will move in this church, that You will remind us not to open up ourselves, not to fall prey to any evil or wicked teachings of the world. And Lord, I pray that You would plant a hedge of protection about this church, that You wouldn't allow any type of Jezebel to enter into our our midst, to create division, to... to to teach some type of false gospel, Lord, I pray that You would continue to show Yourself strong in that regard. Lord, I pray that You would send us out as soldiers of the cross, that we might be those men and women and young people that would be desirous of Your honor and Your glory, and that, Lord, that we wouldn't just sit silently by while false teaching abounds, while evil abounds. Lord, that we wouldn't give ourselves over to participating in things which dishonor you. But Lord, that we would give ourselves to be holy, separated for your honor, for your glory. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room, somebody online that's never trusted Christ, that they would just simply ask for forgiveness, that they would simply ask you right now to come into their life. Lord, I know that's a prayer that not only you will hear, but that's a prayer that you will answer. I have that guarantee from Scripture, which says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, Lord, I pray that you'll do what only you can do today, that you'll be honored and glorified during this song of invitation. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it all, because we ask it in the most precious and powerful name of Jesus and for His sake. Amen and amen Thank you so much for listening If you'd like more information about our ministry Check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org Or follow us on Facebook and Instagram We'll see you next time